Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. Flot, F-L-O-T, that's right, Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to stay with me. As always, it'll be 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, some education, and uh, <clears throat> definitely done without any type of manipulation because we don't, uh, we don't hassle people for money. We're not asking for contributions. We're not trying to sell you anything. Uh, we're not asking you to join anything. We're only asking you to listen. Listen as I teach God's Word uh, from divine viewpoint principles, not some human concepts, but what the Bible says. It's a show about the Bible, but no ranting, no raving, no jumping up and down. You know, just listen up. Listen how God has put together some tremendous problem-solving devices found in the Scripture. And when you learn these problem-solving devices and use them, they form a main line of resistance in your soul, a flot line, F-L-O-T. That's a military term for the forward line of troops. And this, this military analogy that we use is that if you'll learn these 10 unique problem-solving devices and deploy them in the forward compartment of your soul that's in your thinking, in your mentality, then you can stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever become the inside sources of stress. That's why we say stress is, in, is optional. Adversity is inevitable. Stress is optional. You don't ever have to have stress. The Christian life is the most unique life in the world because you can live without stress. You can live without fear. You can live without worry. You can live without bitterness. You can live without jealousy. It's an amazing way to live. And I feel sorry for those that don't have that advantage in the devil's world because they live a miserable life. They actually do. So when we're talking about a main line of resistance, a flight line, you have a main enemy. That enemy, that objective, what his objective is, is to uh, defeat you in time, sidetrack you in time. And Paul wrote about this. He wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 2.11. Listen carefully as I, as I read this to you. He warned those people there in Corinth. He said, lest Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. And there are some other translations of that verse, like a uh, quote that we may not be exploited by his devices, or quote so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, or another quote, lest Satan should circumvent us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. And then lastly, so that we might not have Satan get an advantage over us. All these different uh, translations of that verse suggest and refer to a literal spiritual war that takes place in the lives of believers on a daily basis. So, as you can see, his objective is to exploit my weaknesses, your weaknesses, to outwit our objectives in glorifying God, and to circumvent God's desire for us, which is his highest and his best for us. So in order to accomplish these things towards us, he kind of has a three-prong attack. The first one is the world, and that's controlled by Satan. It's used as a weapon, and it's, it's a lure. It lures you. It promises you something that it can't deliver. You know, happiness is winning the lottery. Happiness is getting married. Happiness is buying a new vehicle. Happiness is whatever. Uh, I remember reading about one guy said, I've made millions of dollars, and I'm still m unhappy. They haven't brought me any happiness. 
And someone once asked Elvis if he was happy, and dear old Elvis said, no, I'm lonely. You know, fame doesn't bring happiness, and the world lures you like that. Much like a duck hunter would use a decoy to lure in the ducks, the world is the decoy, and it offers you happiness and security, but it cannot provide either one. And that's why our Lord Jesus Christ said these words. In 1 John 2.15, he said, Do not love the world through the Apostle John, excuse me. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. And that's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does his will, this will, the will of God, will abide forever. Now, if you would like to abide forever, if you would like to have eternal life with God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord, then you need to do the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? Is it a long, complicated list or agenda? No. In John 6:40, Jesus Christ our Lord said this himself. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's pretty simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. You know, as I said, it's just a decoy. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is how you escape the lure of the world. You learn to recognize the junk that they tell you. So renew your mind. Why? So that you may prove, Romans 12, 2, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for you, I add, in parentheses, in time. Now, now that you're a Christian, now that you've accepted Christ, God has a perfect will for you. And the objective of the enemy is to keep you away from that. Because if you get into the perfect will of God, then you're going to bring him maximum glory. And that's not what Satan wants. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is called the God of this world. And his objective is to confuse the lost man. That's the person who doesn't believe in Christ. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who's the image of God, should shine on them. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world, Satan. And this world will be destroyed eventually. The Bible says in Revelation 21 that the world will be destroyed the stellar universe will be destroyed, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's something we may have to take a look at in the future. So here's some principles to consider. Number one, we are mandated as members of God's family not to have overwhelming desires to want what the world offers. And uh, this is a present active imperative in, in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. It's a mandate from God. And secondly, what the world offers is a decoy, a deceptive delusion from a warped soul that seeks satisfaction and fulfillment in the delusion. It's not there. You're not going to find it. I don't care how many homes you buy, how many cars you have, how many people you marry, how much money you have. It's not the source of happiness. The Bible says happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. Luke 11, 27 and 28. So the disciples, next point, had to make a determined decision to abandon the assets they had and follow Jesus Christ.
So point four, love the world. Do not love the world. The love of the world is akin to depending on what the world offers you to make your life fulfilled. You know, your degree, your whatever, you know, if I could just get this or just get that, I'll have a full life. I want to go to my grave at least knowing that I did everything. Well, you'll go to your grave miserable. You did everything and you still won't be happy. The lust of the flesh is another way Satan tempts us. It refers to using what the world offers to fulfill our desires, our fleshly desires. So we have the world and the flesh and the devil. Remember, we all have trends, bad trends, and your trend may be toward some sort of legalism or it may be toward some sort of self-indulgence. We call that asceticism or antinomianism. I don't know. It depends on you. Maybe you are the most self-righteous, legalistic person in the world and you think God's impressed because you don't smoke a cigarette and you don't drink wine or beer and you think God must love you for that. And uh, maybe you're the other side. Maybe you indulge in whatever you want to do. You see, the flesh has different areas of weakness. Lust of the flesh, some people lust for recognition. Some people lust for power in political seasons. You see that. Some people lust for money. Some people lust for drugs. Some people lust for sex. You know, there's degeneracy on both sides of the aisle. It can be moral degeneracy, such as the moral degenerates that crucified our Lord Jesus Christ, the Pharisees, the scribes. Or it can be the immoral degenerate, and that's the tax collector or or the prostitute, those people that Jesus Christ led to him, those people that, that he came to rescue, the immoral degenerate. I don't know which one is your weakness. You're in there somewhere. But God has a plan for your life. Listen to Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh, well, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, well, they'll set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And then in Romans 8, 8, for then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And I will add, cannot ever please God. In Romans 8, 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So the antidote to the flesh, if the flesh can kill you, and it can, because it feeds on your arrogance, it feeds on your, your self-justification and your self-absorption. What is the antidote to that thing? Well, in Galatians 6.16, I say then, if you'll walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, verse 17, Galatians 6, the flesh wars against the Spirit, and the Spirit wars against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you wish. You have a battle going on inside of you. And that's why some days you feel like a nut and some days you don't. There's that, that real you inside of there. And this is what the Christian life is about. Learning to control the flesh. Learning to avoid the lure of the world. Learning not to feed those monsters in, in, in hopes that they will bring you happiness. The Holy Spirit is your protection. Protection from what? The protection from yourself. <laughs> you are your own worst enemy. We met the enemy and he's me, he's I. Yes, if you will stay filled with the Spirit, how do you do that? By using the rebound technique, problem-solving device number one. Anytime you're aware that you've committed a sin, go to the Father, admit the sin, 
You'll be cleansed and filled with the Spirit. That's the way it works. The Holy Spirit is your protection from self. And, you know, I mean, come on, admit it. At some point in your life, you'll probably shock yourself. You'll, you'll probably do something that you thought you were not capable of doing. And this is always indicative of letting your old sin nature be unbridled in your life. So, by means of rebound, we put the bridle back on it. By means of rebound, we problem-solving device number one, we're guaranteed a protector in our soul, the Holy Spirit. And what does he protect us from? Ourself. So if the dust settles and you've done something really strange and you can't believe you did it and you hope nobody finds out about it, if the dust settles and you're still alive, then God obviously still has a plan for your life. But you have to avoid Satan manipulating you with guilt. Don't look at your failure. Don't look at where you went wrong. Just admit the sin to God. Get up, dust yourself off, and get back in the game. Look at God's grace and forgiveness and God's grace and restoration. All right? Now, in order to avoid the decoy the flesh offers you, you have to renovate your thinking. You have to change the way you think. And that's how you discover what the will of God is for ourselves and, by the way, for our nation. The gospel of Christ, the good news, is the illumination needed to deliver the world from the decoy deployed by the dark one, a.k.a. the devil, who works in the shadows. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. When we shine the light of the gospel, when we let people see the good news of how Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God, paid for their sin, then that frees them from the decoy that Satan throws. You have to avoid these deceptive strategies the devil has. And, and the first thing we have to remember is Satan has a dossier on us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. And, and he doesn't play to our strength. He doesn't do that. He attacks us where we are, in fact, the weakest, where your lust is the most dominant. What is it in your life? Is it your lust for power? Is it your lust for money? Is it your lust for sexual fulfillment? Is it your lust for attention? This is where Satan will attack you. This is where he will have the world offer to you what you want. And it will not fulfill you. It will only play to your guilt and your shame. So if you're weak on the word of God, Satan will obviously get you to question the word of God. He will give you something that's close to the truth as a decoy to deceive you. Because he's always looking to gain an advantage over you. He always wants to use you as a witness for his defense in the angelic conflict. Remember, he doesn't want to go to the lake of fire. And his ultimate objective is to impugn God's justice by highlighting your failures for his defense. So in other words, he wants to use you as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Through my personal failures and yours, as a child of God or through the failure of the local church as an instrument of God, he is seeking to avoid going to the lake of fire. Now, since we know how he attacks us, let's look at how he will attack a church, a local church. You know, if you were Satan, how would you destroy a church? Well, the first thing you would do is you would get the congregation to doubt the leadership of the pastor, to attack the pastor. 
And the way you would do that, secondly, is to deflect his message. If you can do that, you wind up discouraging the congregation. Notice these are all the D letter. And then they will disengage. The certain gifts in the church will disengage. They'll leave. They'll quit. They'll go away. And the pastor may even deviate from sound doctrine. And eventually the congregation will be divided. This is how Satan destroys a church. He gets the congregation to doubt the leadership of the pastor. He deflects the message of the pastor. He discourages the congregation and gets them to disengage in their gifts within the church. And then the pastor deviates from sound doctrine. Or you, maybe you heard some preacher that you liked and you went for that. You left sound doctrine and went for this new stuff this guy told you. And you deviated from the truth. Why? Because you liked the guy that told it to you. You trusted him. You thought he's a really smart, wonderful, brilliant guy. And how, how could he ever lie to me? But he did. You walked away from the truth. And the congregation was divided. Now, let's, let's look at these one at a time, okay? Attack the pastor. Well, here's the first thing about being a pastor. It, it, it doesn't, you know, if a guy has the gift of pastor-teacher, and I really hope you have a well-qualified pastor that you study under. Being a pastor doesn't imply the existence of leadership. It's about the gift, not the popularity of the person. So, I mean, people always buck leadership. Oh, sin natures, you got one, I got one. We, we don't like to be led. We don't like to be told what to do. I mean, certain churches run preachers off regularly if they're too strong. So great leadership is always demonstrated mostly in a crisis. And that's the deal about a pastor. A, a, a great pastor, he has to face a threat at least once in his ministry, maybe twice. I mean, even Paul was accused of sedition in Acts 24.6, where they claimed that he tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And we wanted to judge him according to our laws, but the commander, Lysias, came by and with great violence took him away from us. That's the testimony of Ananias before Felix. They accused Paul of sedition. The result of great leadership is motivation. And your motivation is always found in virtue love. In 1 John 5, 3, Jesus, our Lord, said, If you love me, obey me. In Matthew 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I tell you? You know, personal love for the pastor is a motivation that stems from his faithfulness to study and teach the Word of God. And personal love for our Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest motivational virtue in your life. It'll motivate you to do the things you normally don't even want to do. If you're motivated to obey God, it begins with humility. So 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so he can promote you at the right time. Wow. You know, personality arrogance is where one uses his or his, her personality. They dominate people. They're strong, overwhelming people, and, they, and they, did, they try to dominate. And these sort of people cause conflicts in the church. They always do. And... Uh, in 2 Corinthians 2, 5, Paul said, If anyone causes grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. And that's referring to something that happened in Corinth. In 
some people in First Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, that talks about what happened here. It was really an amazing thing. There was something that was so perverted, so weird, so crazy, that Paul had to step in and deal with it and put someone under the sin of the death. Take your Bible and read 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. Oh, by the way, read that last part. Their soul will be saved in the day of the Lord. What went on there caused a tremendous distraction for the Apostle Paul. It even caused him to cancel the second visit and write a letter. And we lost that letter. We never found that letter. No one ever came up with that letter. It didn't make it into the canon of Scripture. But there's another letter to the church at Corinth somewhere. In 2 Corinthians 7, 8, it appears the Corinthian believers responded to his suggestion to forgive the guy that Satan used as a wedge in the church in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. Listen to what Paul said. Here's reference to that lost letter. 2 Corinthians seven twelve. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, that's Paul, but, for that, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear for you. In other words, Paul, the apostle, the person who established the church in Corinth was more concerned about how the distraction affected them than him. So there had to be fellowship restored or Satan would use it to drive a wedge, a wedge between the church and between Paul. You know, pastors face this constant criticism, constant interference from people that sometimes mean well, but they think they know better. They think they're smarter than the pastor, and they may be. But I'm telling you, when you open your mouth and begin to criticize and malign and and backbite the pastor, you are asking for divine discipline to kick you right in the nose. (laughs) You're asking for it. If you mess with a pastor, you're messing with God's man. And the price is not an easy price to pay. No pastor must allow himself to be manipulated nor maligned by those people that are in his congregation. So those pastors, men that you and I need to feed us and teach us, they're they're like the men in the Civil War that bore the colors, the colors of the regimental, the division colors, the company colors. And the sharpshooters aim for them first. They want to kill those color bearers. That's the man that held the colors up. And that's the one they would shoot first to kind of cause confusion in the battle. But when the word of God is held up by the pastor, he's the first person to get shot at. And Satan has some excellent sharpshooters, doesn't he? Maybe you know a few of them in your congregation. They take pock shots at the pastor all the time. And that's why Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3, you have to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he's going to be constantly ducking these sharpshooters. There were two of them in 2 Timothy 2.17 named Hymenaeus and Philetus. They are the sort who strayed from the truth, claiming the resurrection is over, and they shipwrecked the faith of some. They discouraged people. Oh, they're there, and it's always there. This is what Satan uses. He wants to discourage you and deflect the responsibility of the congregation rather than have you reflect the life of Christ. Deflect turn you aside, get you to change direction, get you diverted, get you redirected. Let's build some more buildings. Let's get into crusader arrogance and go downtown and march on the corner and get a sign up. And Listen, you can't straighten out the devil's world. 
there's sin natures here. There will always be sin natures here. And the only thing that can overcome the sin nature is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When someone gets saved, then they have the antidote, the Holy Spirit. Once he indwells them, then they have a chance. But you're not going to straighten them out. You're not going to get them to quit doing those things that you want to march for and hold up your sign for and tell them they're evil and going to hell. If they do it, it's not your job. That's a crusader. The enemy and the strategy of the enemy is to get you to focus on the failure of other people, not your own failure. You have your own failures. In Romans 2, 1, you might be surprised if you read that because it says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judges. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. What are they judging? Well, you just need to back up a little bit and read the last part of chapter 1 and you'll see. You might be surprised. People were judging those that Paul wrote about in the end of Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. And Paul said, when you judge those people and the things they're doing, you're doing the same thing. In other words, you're sinning just like them. It's a failure to recognize, a failure to rebound, a failure to rectify the course and change course and accept the responsibility for your sin. It cannot be done unless there's humility in your life. And an arrogant person, he doesn't have any humility. He doesn't see himself like that. He doesn't see himself as he really is. He sees himself as he thinks he is. You know, God can read your mind. It says in the Bible, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the Bible says in Second uh, Peter 3, I'm the God who searches the hearts and the minds. He looks right inside your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. This is what Satan did with Eve. He tried to uh, persuade her that she could be as smart as God. Go ahead and eat this stuff. Eat this fruit. And uh, she did. And you know what happened? Genesis 3, 11 and 12. And he said, who told you you were naked? God said when he showed up in the garden. And did you eat from the tree of the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? And of course the man said, nah, the woman did it. She gave it to me. He threw Eve under the bus right off the bat, didn't he? Don't do that. When you sin, admit it. Don't hide it. And God will be faithful and just to forgive you. And maybe you need to do that today. Maybe that's why your prayers are not getting answered. And maybe that's why you're living a pretty miserable life right now. Because you've indulged in your sin and you've hid it and haven't confessed it to God. Hope you're listening. Hope you're paying attention. Your very future depends on it. Please come back next week. I'll be here, same time, same place. Until then, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.